see. I think I'm on here. Yep. So this might seem a little bit too late, but I actually think that this is right on time. Thanksgiving history is vital. Thanksgiving history is vital. Uh, I don't have a scripture verse that I want to start with, but I do want to pray to begin with. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we love what the Holy Spirit is going to animate this morning through your word. Father, we're going to love that our history has a very important role to play in life, and it should never be forgotten. And God, if there's a people that are strong in faith and giving glory to your name, we pray that it'll be us, that we'll be committed and faithful through and through to stand strong on the very things that you've given us. And so today, Lord, would you give us the mercy from heaven. Every day, Lord, you give us revelation. Every day we get a revelation from heaven. Any moment that we get something from God is a moment of mercy practiced for us. Lord, it is a revelation of the grace of God. Lord, as many people who think that you're not even there, Lord, if we could really take into consideration the billions of things done for each one of us, we would never say that you haven't been there. And I want to pray, God, that this morning, that you'd continue, Lord, to make this time together sacred, beautiful, and holy. God, continue to warm our hearts and our affection towards you, Lord, and just peel away everything. Peel away everything that's bogging us down and holding us back. Animate the beauty of who you are through our lives by setting us free. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to I share at the start of my sermon this morning, I want to start about some of, the, some of the basic history behind Thanksgiving, supposing that maybe there's somebody here that doesn't know it and then Maybe all of us don't. I don't know. But I'll say the one good resource to look into would be, it's called Monumental. Um, and um, for the life of me, I can't remember his name at the moment. Kirk Cameron. He's the one that puts it on. And it's really worth listening to because it gives you a very clear picture of basically the start. Really, the starting, the foundation of our nation is really the big piece to it. And so... Um, some of the, the I want to share some of the pieces to that. There's so much more to it. That's why like, I'm not giving you the broad of the history. But these are just, as I was taking time, these are the ones that stood out to me. One of the things that kind of I was wondering about, we hear pilgrims. You know, all, ever, ever since I was in school, um, we, we talked about Thanksgiving and the history of Thanksgiving. It was all about Columbus, right? But really, Thanksgiving and pilgrims, and what were pilgrims, and all of that. And then, as I started to get into it more, I realized that there were two groups of people, and the purpose to come to America, as it were, was to get religious freedom from the tyranny of the Church of England. The tyranny of the Church of England. And it's not a wonder that, in a sense, that Christianity or church is, so to speak, has had a bad name when, when that's this context. But this is the reason why there's another context that we should be thinking about. And so there were two groups, and they were either the separatists or the puritans. And the separatists, 
and the Puritans were very similar as far as what they wanted from practice, their religious practice and what they would do, the kinds of freedoms they were looking for. The difference was that the Puritans didn't feel like they had to ultimately separate from the Church of England in order to maintain that, but the separatists did. Um, And so as long as they were together, they could practice what they believed together. They just had a very different view. I don't know what role that played as far as history. It would be great to look into that. But interestingly, it was a group of separatists, which we would call pilgrims, that had to, they wanted to come to America. And so they got on the Mayflower, and there was 102 of them. 102 that came over on the Mayflower. They had already tried previously and hadn't gotten there. They, they were trying to get over and, and get across sea and couldn't. And out of the 102 of them, within the first year, there were only 47 of them still alive. Uh, I think it was in Kirk Cameron's video, one of the things he said was that some of the, from the, when they had landed here, it was in the winter time or very close to. And so the harshness of the environment and the lack of knowledge of how to prepare for the land and take care of themselves, they were in the worst kind of situation. So not only that, but the Mayflower was not designed for that voyage. It was, it was really meant for only working around the shores and the coastlines. It was not for voyaging. And it was the worst time of the year. So this is pretty much when these guys hung up ship and they said, no, we're not doing it until later or when it's a better time of the year. So this is the worst time to be uh, making a voyage. It's the wrong kind of ship for the voyage. And they, only, they have, uh, and it's the, the worst time of the year for even after they get through it to be able to survive. But why? Why were they going to be making such sacrifice? And that shall remain a mystery to all of us. But I think we have an idea. If we were to take into consideration, we have an idea that what they were searching for was so much more value that even if along the path they had to die in order to get it, they were willing to make the sacrifice. Remember, this is what Thanksgiving was wrapped around. I mean, it is for me as I think about how we celebrate Thanksgiving when we get together with families, what we do. and It's so much, if we think about our history, it can be so disconnected from the history of our beginning and origin. And that's why it's so important to remember it. So one of the other issues in their voyage was the the difficulty of trying to manage the sea is the main beam in the Mayflower had broken. Providentially, somebody had brought um, something on board. I, I don't even remember at the moment, but basically it was what they needed in order to repair it so they could continue the voyage. Had that not happened, they would have all died at sea. And so, out of that, as I said, there was out of 102 that had come over, and out of them, there was 47 that lived, and they said that some of the mothers would sleep over the top of their children in order to keep them from freezing at night. Man, that's sacrifice. That's unbelievable sacrifice. When we're thinking of God and we're giving Him thanks on Thanksgiving, let's not forget that. Let's do our very best not to forget the kinds of sacrifices made to bring the freedoms that we enjoy. Um, One of the other issues they had when they did land is that they didn't know how to work the land and they didn't know how to fish. And so the Native Americans, and so this is the thing, 
the United, uh, it wasn't the United States, America, or basically the uh, colonies, or what was going to become the colonies at the time. The Indians that lived there, there had been people coming in, and so there was wars and stuff made against the Indians. So they, they weren't just, they were trying to figure out who was peaceable, so to speak. So the separatists were, but there were others that weren't. And so, um, amazingly in this, they would have suffered and died another time. Not just from the voyage, but they would have died, all of them, had they not learned how to work the land and how to fish and how to uh, provide for themselves. And so there was an Indian group that came, and right at the moment, I can't remember who it was, um, but they had came and they actually helped them and formed a pact with them and helped them learn how to survive or otherwise they wouldn't have even made it past that. And so we had our first Thanksgiving on this land. It was held November 1621, a long time ago. The feast lasted for three days. I guess, honey, it's not too bad if we have more than one Thanksgiving, right? And it was attended by 90 Native Americans and the Indians and the pilgrims shared in the Harvest Festival together. That's kind of a rough summary, a very rough summary of the Thanksgiving and, and a lot of things. There, was, there became uh, wars and stuff after that period, but this was a time when there was peace and there was uh, togetherness as far as that was concerned. But to think about that and think about the sacrifices and the people who were coming over and two very important things, it was, but the main thing was for religious freedom. So how does history affect the way we celebrate the holiday? And I would say this, it hallows our sense of freedom. How does history affect the way we celebrate our, our holiday? It hallows our sense of freedom. It's very much different if it didn't cost anybody anything for me to have what I have today. But none of us can sit here in the freedoms we enjoy and not think that it cost tremendous amount from somebody else who took the part. I want to read to you Psalm 126 because I feel like this psalm, even though in context it's not about ultimately about thanksgiving, right? But it is about freedom. It is about freedom. And this is one of my favorite psalms in all of the Bible. And it says this. So turn, turn to Psalm uh, 126. And then all of you uh, that have highlighters, go ahead and highlight the whole psalm. <laughs> And say, Amen if you're there. Okay. When the Lord brought back the captivity of Zion, we were like those who dream. You, you get the sense of that hollowness of their freedom? When the Lord brought again the captivity of Zion, we were like those that dream. I wanted you to capture this other piece. Then our mouth was filled with laughter. Our mouth was filled with laughter. So we, we got to enjoy freedom, and laughter came out of that freedom. Then our tongue with singing. Then said they among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are glad. Bring back our captivity, O Lord, as the streams of the south and listen to this. Those that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He who continually goes forth weeping, bearing precious seed, 
for sowing shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. This has been my uh, this has been my psalm for intercession. This has been my psalm for praying for people on the outside looking in. The the thing is is that when we're when we're thinking of the holiday season, we should be thinking that the sense of freedom comes out of this idea. My laughter is hallowed. You understand that laughter has a, a sense of sacredness to it when there's been sacrifice in order to receive it. I have had it's the sacrifice. Whether I've made it or somebody else has, but to think that somebody was giving laughter. I remember when Mike and Michelle were getting ready to leave, and I remember my heart sorrow it, it seeing them go was the thought of the tears that would come off of my kids' eyes. I remember struggling at the thought of seeing them go, not just because of my own personal pain, because of the pain that I thought that it would bring to my own children. And so essentially in this is... Uh, when we think of those kinds of things, if we finally get to a place where we get to develop laughter, it's a hallowed laughter, as it were. It's a kind of singing that's hallowed in that, in that way. And so we should never forget that the sorrows and the sufferings and the struggles that we go through at times, God has special meaning to lift up our song of praise on, on holy ground. And essentially, I think sometimes the church gets to the place, or we as Christians, we get to the place that we no longer think about the history. We no longer think about the mothers that laid over their children in order to preserve their lives. We don't think about those who died along the first year of trying to get the freedom for themselves, the, the freedom that eventually we got to have basically passed on through their sufferings. But doesn't it make sense that from out of their sorrows is a hallowed laughter and a hallowed singing on our parts so that when we begin to celebrate Thanksgiving, we should be thanking God with that in mind, and when we do, isn't that a sweet sound and a savor to God? Isn't that what brings joy and gladness to His heart? Is that you're not just having fun, as it were. You're taking into consideration the heart work that went behind Thanksgiving. To me, one of the things I thought about this season when we were visiting family and I knew that we'd be getting together and there'd be so many of them. And we had 30 people on our Thanksgiving table. It was remarkable. We had family members and then we saw a few people walk in. And we were like, who are you? Like, I, I don't remember you being a part of the family. <laughs> and so there was people invited that were not a part of the family. But, you know, God enjoins others to the family, doesn't he? Doesn't he do that? And... When we were there, I, re I knew that there would be a lot and there would be a lot going on. And I, I asked the Lord in my morning prayer time, Jesus, I pray that throughout the day you'll help me step away and take a look at what's going on. I, I pray that you'll help me hallow those moments and make them sacred in your presence. And all along the path, I want you to be the, the center figure of my Thanksgiving time. And I want to enjoy it. And I want to enjoy it with people. But I want you to be the centerpiece of the whole thing. And I felt like he did. Um, interestingly, things were going on, and I picked up a book on intercession, and I was just moved to think about it. I talked to some of my uh, family members, and it was remarkable the way the Lord made it special for me in that way. I think there's another thing that when, when we're thinking of the history and how this affects how we celebrate the holiday, it calls us to reexamine the way we honor our holiday. If we don't think of history, we don't think of, should I re-examine this? 
So I know one thing for me. I have a hard time. I have a hard time with Black Friday. I, I feel like it's the commercialization behind it. I understand, you know, it, it helps us buy our gifts at better prices or whatever the case is. But I feel like it's stealing from us and robbing from us the sacredness of what we're doing. I think it's sad that it used to be more so that we would see stores and stuff closed down for the holidays and you couldn't do anything. And yeah, it would be a bummer if you forgot something. But the realization was those people are enjoying the holiday like me instead of having to work for whatever reason. One of, one of our uh, cousins, um, they were sharing how they would be working on Black Friday and they'd be working till midnight. I was like, what? That, that's ridiculous. <laughs> right? Now, that's me. Now, you don't have to have the same judgment. I'm just saying something just seems weird. But it will do this. That's how, for me, I re-examine the way we honor the holiday. And I ask myself, do I want to do that differently? Do I want to treat it like Black Friday doesn't exist? Well, I kind of do. <laughs> I, I, don't wanna, I, don't, I don't want to unless we absolutely have to, and I want to try and keep that from going on Thanksgiving to any store. I can live without it, even if it's my favorite. I still can live without it. Let's, uh, let's tell the world that we look at this holiday as something spectacularly more than seems to be the world is enjoying and the culture is still trying to inundate it with commercialization. Here's a third one that I think it strips away the worldliness and commercialization behind Thanksgiving. So while we're re-examining, it strips that away. And I couldn't help but think of Jesus when he was going into the temple and he had seen money changers and people selling in the temple. And he went in and he made a whip, a scourge of whips. And you didn't see Jesus in this kind of violent behavior very often in the Bible, but we do see it. So ultimately, that's one place we say, I guess there are places where there can be violence and it be justifiable, right? And Jesus went in there and He took that whip and He drove the money changers out and He made a heart cry that bellowed out to everybody that could hear, My Father's house shall be called a house of prayer. This is what it was born for. This is what its origin was all about. And so I feel like as we examine the history, as we think about the sacrifice of people behind Thanksgiving, and we get more and embrace that, we should feel something similar to what Jesus felt. We're not going to commercialize this holiday. We're not going to make it something that fits the culture of our world. We're going to bring it back to the very foundation of why God preserved a very remnant of people so that we could see it what it is today. And of course, we're not including see it what it is today of all the facets of things that are so profane and outside of the scope of what they really sacrificed for. If they had seen this nation legalizing the crazy things that were legalizing, they wouldn't have sacrificed for that but they would certainly sacrifice for the freedom that we're enjoying right here in our service. A love of being together. And one last thing here as we look at the history and how it affects the way we celebrate the holiday, it draws us to examine the magnificence of God. You think about, as I was sharing with you, and probably many others that I hadn't, about how they could have totally been wiped off before they even got started. The Church of England wanted to basically wipe them off the face of the earth. Separatists were not a favored group of people in England. That's how they got their name. 
you're separating from, and now you're creating chaos and dissension in our church, so to speak. I want you to think of Psalm 136 as you think about examining the magnificence of God and how He spared and brought about, essentially through the sorrow and the suffering, how He brought about the miraculous at the exact same time. But I I just want you to think about this psalm. Psalm 136 is the one psalm out of the Bible Now it does talk about, other psalms do about the mercy of the Lord, but this one repeats, the mercy of the Lord endures forever over and over again throughout the entire psalm. Every verse ends, the mercy of the Lord endures forever. How many of you rejoice over that? Mercy of the Lord. And so basically it's talking about the history, the history of the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for He is good, for His mercy endures. Eventually we'll get to the history. (laughs) Oh, give thanks to the God of gods, for His mercy endures forever. Verse 3. Oh, give thanks to the Lord of lords, for His mercy endures forever. Verse 4. To Him who alone does great wonders, for His mercy endures forever. To Him who by wisdom made the heavens, for His mercy endures forever. To Him who laid the earth above and the waters, for His mercy endures forever. To Him who made great lights, so he goes into the foundation, the creation. And then you go look in verse 10. It says, To him who struck Egypt and their firstborn for his mercy endures for, forever and brought out Israel from among them, his mercy. Do you see this early on in the history is the magnificence of God and freeing his people and giving them religious liberty, giving them the liberty to be able to serve him in the wilderness as it were. But we see this. This was their thanksgiving. But the magnificence of God was on display as they were being delivered, as they were being transported out of slavery. How many of us have been slaves? Now, I will admit this. There are times when I was working at a job, and other than getting paid, I was like, I feel like a slave, but I don't think I'm a slave. (laughs) And uh, there are times in life where it seems like life can become unbearable. His mercy endures forever. The sorrow of the moment may be for us a year or two years, but that sorrow is really just a moment in time. It's a very quick lapse as far as time is concerned. But His mercy endures forever. If you read the story of Job, you see a man who was a godly man. And you would want to say, that man should be preserved from all this suffering. But that man walked through suffering like we know no other. And yet in the end, His mercy endures forever. But the end didn't tell us that His mercy endured forever. The beginning was His mercy endures forever. Because we must know that no matter what we deal with in life, the mercy of God, God is on the throne. Do you know that? Do we know that this morning? If God's on the throne, shout it. God's on the throne. I didn't hear it loud enough. That's right. He's on the throne. And because of that, we know that what, this is only a temporal thing. His mercy endures forever. I love the fact that God would take women that were barren in the Bible. And you see Sarah, and she lives almost a lifetime and looking for the promise of God along the path. And it seems like all hope is gone. And His mercy endures forever. There's a need to re-examine the magnificence of God. When I read the story of Sarah, and I look at life's complications from my point of view, I remember God brought it to a close. I remember God finished the work. God gave out the testimony. 
And that's why I feel like I can pray with boldness because the Lord is no respecter of persons. He sees James. He sees Mike. He sees Julia. He sees Lee. He sees us all in the same context. So it helps us when we think of history to examine the magnificence of God. So what is Thanksgiving in light of history? What is it? I would say it's this. It's a fascinating journey toward freedom through sacrifice and the advent of which has brought us to today. So it was interesting because I've always, until this sermon, (laughs) I've always thought of Thanksgiving as all about Thanksgiving. It's about giving things. It's about being happy for what you have. And, you know, being content, even if you don't have more, just being happy with where you're at. And and, and having family wrapped around you, hopefully having family wrapped around you. But this, this time, as I examined history, it redefined it. And I thought Independence Day is Thanksgiving. Well, it's as big as the 4th of July, if you really think about it. That day marked the beginning of freedom in so many ways. And it wasn't just national freedom, it was religious freedom. The fact that we get to love Jesus on the plane that we do. And there are so many countries right now, they don't get what we do, as our sister was sharing with us earlier. How phenomenal. We can go out our doors and worship Jesus with minimal frustration and struggle to go along with it. And if it is, it's just because men or women don't want to hear it. But that's it, pretty much. You can't throw us in jail. You can't bloody beat me to death. You can't do all those things. What amazing freedom. I was amazed. I read a book. I would recommend this book. Write it down. Write it down. It's called Tortured for His Faith by Harlan Popoff. There's another one by, um, what's his name? Uh, No, I can't think of it. Harlan Popoff. I think it was 14 years in a prison camp. Well, along this path, in a Nazi uh, concentration camp, he found a Bible in their library found a Bible in their library. And he snuck that thing and held it close and he read it as often as he could until they caught him. (laughs) Until they caught him. And then he said, in the end, he he thanked them for lending lending him their Bible. (laughs) You imagine how precious the Bible would have been and the brutality. I mean... I'm not going to get into the context, but the brutality of they there's seemingly to me under the conditions I can't imagine anybody living for two years, much less 14 years under that kind of suffering. It was remarkable, but it was how precious the word of God was to him. So we have this this fascinating journey when we look at the history of Thanksgiving. This fascinating journey toward freedom through sacrifice and the advent of it, which has brought us to our today. Thanksgiving marks a starting point. It just marks a starting point of our nation. Now, there's many places where I was thinking about this. We could think of many starting points. But this is like a very special starting point. And it marks a starting point for our nation and a foundation of its governing constitution. No, there wasn't a constitution at the time. But it was the woodworks by which it would begin to climb out of. It was the sense that we needed religious freedom and we needed to protect it from government hierarchy that would tell us that we cannot serve God or how we ought to serve God. And so here we see 
This is the, the beginning of what would become our Constitution is men who believed in preserving that. And they became the foundation for it. We would have never had a Constitution that would so long held us if it weren't for these kinds of individuals that were birthed and born out of the separatists and the Puritans that came over to help preserve or begin the foundation for that kind of governing constitution. That was at the heart of it. And still is, regardless of what our culture and our woke world is trying to do to us. I'm on it when you read Psalm 33.12. It says, Blessed is the nation, Psalm 33.12, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord and the people He has chosen for His own inheritance. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord and the people. Oh, don't you love that? Wait a second. Are you that people? That, that people He has chosen as His own inheritance? It's not you're getting inheritance. He gets you as an inheritance. Imagine what Jesus wants to do with His inheritance. Sweet business. Thanksgiving is also the beginning of our liberation from religious tyranny and is a foundation of our duty to preserve it. Right now, whether it's in a voting situation or it's picketing or it's preaching or it's getting on the streets and you understand this, if you don't preach it on the streets, somebody else is going to preach something else. If you don't tell your grandchildren, you don't tell your children, you don't tell the people around you and in Willowa County, somebody else is going to tell Willowa County. Somebody else is going to tell them all the things you don't believe in. All the things you know that you don't want your children and grandchildren and, and continued generations to have to wrestle with in order to love Jesus. So if we don't share the gospel, well, I'm afraid to share the gospel. Well, they're not. <laughs> the news isn't afraid to share everything other than the gospel. Get what I'm saying? So here's our world, and we get to share it, and we got to get in on it somehow. And if we don't, then we're creating the environment for which we're going to lose the freedoms that somebody else sacrificed for. Biblically speaking, the only grounds by which we can expect to maintain our freedoms and our thanksgiving and remain a nation under God is not, is not by being thankful. This is not how we maintain it. For what we have, uh, not being thankful for what we have, but by remaining true and faithful to God, from out of which our faithfulness, our, our, um, out of our faithfulness to God, our gratefulness erupts. See, gratefulness is a secondary thing, not a primary thing when it comes to life, really, when we think of what's going on and around this. So if we have a one-day celebration of Thanksgiving, and then after that, we lose the mark of it. We're missing the whole point here. But really, when we get down to it, here's the thing. Our gratefulness erupts out of our faithfulness to God. Because right now, we could be surrounded by riches, but tomorrow, God could pull them out of our pockets because we've taken for granted that it's not riches, but it's God giving us life and breath. It's the One who's given us our existence that should never be forsaken. And you read throughout all the Bible, and I don't give a care if we're America the land of the free and the home of the brave. You better lose the hope of that if we, de we decide along that pathway that we're going to forget God. All throughout Israel's history, the people chosen of God 
every time they would go back to idolatry and serve other gods and turn away from the Lord, God would bring upon them the suffering and they would lose their freedom so that they would learn to call back out on Him. I would say this to young people today. I would say, young person, you've got life to live, but don't sacrifice it on the altars of living and serving yourself. Don't do it on self-gratification. I would say to middle-aged people, you're in the maybe you're in the prime of life or you're at the road of just a, your first early 40 years in crisis, so to speak, and you're realizing, oh, my life is beginning to fade away and things I wasn't. Don't waste any more time. Don't you dare waste any more time of your life watching television and perverting your soul with things of the world when you have a Bible in front of you. I mean, we can't even hardly pick up our Bibles. We're not talking about throwing your life onto somebody else's and being frozen to death the next morning. We're just talking about making a little bit of sacrifice for your time to read your Bible, you know, and to pray for the nation that you want to see God continuously glorified within its framework and, and its borders. So as we think about this, we really need to consider what kinds of what kind of life am I living right now? If I were to say we had a grade percentage of our life and 100% Christian, I'm 100% sold out for Jesus, and there's not a day, a second that goes by that I'm anything other than sold out for Jesus. And we're gonna zero percent is I'm not serving the Lord at all. Where are you on that scale, right? You're like, well, I can't really quietly figure out where I am on that scale. But you probably have a pretty good idea roughly where you're at on that scale. What if you're a 20% Christian? All we're really saying is this. 20% of my life, 80% of my life, has nothing of God really ultimately at the center of it. And that's the destruction piece. And if in our churches, and if among Christians we are 20% Christians as a norm of the environment of Christianity, then what's the hope for the rest of the world? What's the hope that America will be preserved another day, much less another year? So it's riding on our backs to continue to preserve that. And remember, our faithfulness to God is where our gratefulness interrupts from. Because really, every good thing we have in our life, whether you have a nice home, you have a nice car, really just the fact that we have breath to breathe. So let's, get, let's get out of the possessions thing and just the fact that I have vitals that are still working. Some of us have a good reason to feel that way, right? We're like, man, I still have vitals that are working because when I wake up in the morning, I feel half crippled. But this is a beautiful thing to know. I still have lungs that God is still filling. I have a heart that God is maintaining its course. I haven't been diagnosed with cancer, and cross, uh, terminal cancer, and I only have so much to live. Take, never take any day for granted. Live every day as if this might be your last, but live it fully for God. See, America is hinges on what's happening in our churches. Really. Because we're the separatists of today. We're separate from our culture. We're separate from all other fabrics of society. And we're saying we're not fallen for this. We're not fallen for the disease of our culture. We're not going to go there. And we might make fun of it at times, but I want to say get sober about it too. Laugh about it because it is a laughing stock, but at the same time, don't laugh too hard because before you know it, it's going to wipe away every freedom that we have if we're not careful. Right now, it's becoming harder and harder to get in on things. You know, Willowa County has been uh, strongly preserved from a lot of this just because of the size of it. When you go into the cities, it's rampant, but it's getting here. It's working its way in, and I don't know that we're doing all that much 
in conflict with it. And I would say one of the best things you could do, I would say you get a prayer life with Jesus and you get on fire for God and you pray the devil down. I'm saying it. Because Jesus gave us an authority. Not our authority, His authority. Do you think Jesus wants our county ransacked by woke theology? Then let's get in prayer. Now, I'm going to say this sincerely, and this is not to condemn anybody. We have, I'll do it more often. Intercessory prayer is just basically praying for this county not to get engulfed by woke living. I don't know if you have time or not, but I would say this. If you have time and opportunity, you're like, well, I don't know. I don't feel comfortable praying out loud. You will be when the communists are chasing you down. Right? We'll get there eventually. But why do we waste our freedom when we have the opportunity now? Man, I, I, geesh, I need to get at the altar right now. I'm, Lord, help me, Jesus. I, I'm, I'm preaching it because I'm getting it. <laughs> it's getting me too. So I want, to think, I want you to go with me. I want you to think about the biblical history behind Israel. Because there's some very strong similarities in it. I want to just point out three things. Number one, Moses left Egypt for freedom. To free God's people. Moses left Egypt to free God's people from the, its slavish tyranny against the worship of God. He did the same thing, didn't he? He left there to get away from the slavish tyranny. Also, it was a 40-year-long journey that for Moses ended it in a partial conquest of Canaan on one side of the Jordan River and picked up by Joshua and the judges in a final conquest. So Moses spent 40 years in the wilderness with a people who were struggling along to be faithful. They had just gotten delivered from slavery, but while they're in the wilderness, they begin to crave slavery again. Now that's crazy to me, but that's humanity. And then later on, and he only got to see a partial conquest. And God brought him up at the top of a mountain. He said, look down, you get to see what you're, what's going to be, but you don't get to have it. Well, that's what happened to us. We, we get to somebody else look down on the mountain, and here we are. And the journey of the Jews through the wilderness toward freedom was paved with suffering, just like it was for the early pilgrims and those who started this nation when you get down to it. So I couldn't help it as I was thinking about this history. And I was thinking about what was born into it. And God, what was the message that you had for them through this? What was the centerpiece of what you were speaking? What did they need to hold to? If they lost everything, what was the one thing they needed to have dear life holding on to? What was the anchor of the soul of Israel? And as I, as I felt like the Lord penetrated my heart with this, I felt like this is what God told me. This is what your thanksgiving is supposed to be about also. It doesn't change from nation to nation. It's the same through and through. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 11 through 14. I don't know where we're at on the overhead here, but you can turn to that. Deuteronomy 8, so it's the last verse there, if you would. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 11 through 14. This is an awesome verse. Okay, I need to hear praise God this time. When you're there, praise God. Man, you guys are on fire. You're ready. Praise the Lord. 
Okay, it says, Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping His commandments, His judgments, His statutes, which I command you today, lest when you have eaten and are full. Does that sound like, sound like Thanksgiving to you? <laughs> I mean, we had five turkeys. If you're not full, you don't have any reason not to be, right? When you have eaten and are full and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply, and your silver and gold are multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied, when your heart is lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Do you hear what God's saying? So here's the thing. Whether you're watching football or whatever you're doing, at least know this. Never let the holiday. This is why I preached it after Thanksgiving. I felt like, Lord, I want you to preach this after Thanksgiving. <laughs> Never let the holiday get by with all those activities. And then when it's all over with, you realize that you didn't take one minute to pray. You didn't take any time to thank God. And other than maybe our food, but we didn't really give him the moment of just pause and, and re reflect on God. Now, of course, you could miss it on Thanksgiving, but what are we doing in life? Because here's the thing. If on Thanksgiving we become super religious, right? We become oh, the sanctified in the most unremarkable way or most remarkable way, but yet every other day of our life we don't live that life, then Thanksgiving really meant nothing. But it means something when we actually invest it in. And hear the words that God was saying to His people back then. Because He wasn't saying it just while they were in it. He was also saying it before they got there. Because He knew the temptation was. Because you're not making the sacrifice that somebody else did along the path. When you finally get and everything's all comfortable, the, the high probability is you'll forget the Lord. You'll forget the Lord. The basics is just loving Jesus, right? That's what we're really all about is just the basics of loving Jesus. Now, here's the thing. As you love Jesus more, um, it's, it changes the temperament in our churches. And the temperature in our churches is really the product that our world needs the most right now. And what's the temperature in abundant life right now? I don't know. I don't know what our temperature is. But I could say this, the temperature, you could start to gauge it on individually where you're at with Jesus. Am I really loving Jesus with everything within me? I'm hot on fire for making sure that the gospel is the centerpiece of my life and what I promote in my world. So the beauty of it is, is that all of us have different jobs. Well, you get to promote the gospel on your job site, wherever you're at. And is it with you as it is with Paul the Apostle? not your pastor, Paul the Apostle, and he said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Now, I will say this, as I'm thinking about this, in our family gathering, I got to see one of the things I loved the most about our time together was this. Was I'm watching us... A good handful of the num members of our family, my wife's family, I could say, especially, but mine, because I got grafted into it. I think that's because I got married. Um, 
and I'm watching them get to the place where they want to get closer to Jesus and closer to God, and they're developing prayer around it. My brother-in-law, I'm sure he might have been thinking, you're the pastor and I'm doing this. But he, just as I was getting ready, I'd packed all the kids and gotten everything on it. He's like, hey, wait a second. He's in his pajamas, uh, like his pajama bottoms, T-shirt or whatever. And, and we're standing outside. It's kind of cold. He says, hold on a second. Come here. Let me pray for you. Oh, that's sweet business right there. I love that. And, and, and what I'm noticing is they're picking up books and they're reading books about prayer. They're getting into the verses of prayer. They're getting together and praying. And he had on Tuesday and Wednesday, he'd be, he had a prayer thing that he had going on. And I caught it with, uh, on Wednesday with him. And I was like, now this is Thanksgiving. Vested in prayer. Vested in God. Man, I got, to, I got to relax. I got to have fun. Along the pathway of doing this, we went out and played airsoft. I got sore. I'm still walking around like an old man because of it. But what I realized is, when it's all said and done, the, the, the showcase piece of my time with my family was their love for Jesus and their love for the family. And just before we left, just before we left, the whole, the, I, don't, I didn't even know they were going to, and I don't think they were going to do it for us. They were going to see their brother Tim, Tim of all people. No, just kidding. They, they came, and they were all together, and again, they said, they had come over, my brother-in-law and his wife, and they said, let's pray for your family. And they prayed over us, and it was some very wonderful prayer. And I love, I love family that prays. And so I'm saying this because I, I thank God's, one, he's got us here together to pray together. But as we celebrate our next holiday coming up, Christmas, let's do the same thing. Let's pray together. Let's anticipate God working in the kingdom of God. I, I under, I've seen this happen, and I'm going to say this as I close. I remember one gentleman. This wasn't when we were in this building, but one gentleman. We had prayed, and it was just a couple of us praying, but we were praying with some zeal, fire, and love for Jesus, right? That's all the ingredients it ever takes. Just love for Jesus. Pray your heart out. Pray quiet. I don't care how you pray. Just pray, right? But do it out of love for Jesus. We prayed, and we weren't expecting anything that day. We weren't anticipating anything. And somebody had walked through that door, dressed in a suit and tie like me, hadn't been to church for 25 years, And came to the prayer meeting, not the church. He came. Somehow he made it to the prayer meeting. And he listened to us pray. And God ignited something in him that day. Just prayer. No preaching. Not, I mean, I'm sure the preaching did something too. But it was just a prayer. And it was, God will do things. God will bring people. God will get people that you didn't think he would get. When we get to the place we really believe, Jesus' promises are absolutely true. And God... I'm standing on it, and you're not letting me down. I'm not going to let you let me down. I'm not living that way. Because as far as I'm concerned, if your promises aren't true, the culture is too big for me. It's going to beat me down. I'm not going to win. But Jesus, you're much bigger than all of that. And you take 12 men, unlearned and ignorant men, and the Bible says they turn the world upside down. I think we got enough in this place to do the work God's called us to do. So let's just trust him. I, I believe that God is speaking to us. I don't know what he's saying to you, but I know that he's speaking to me. And I feel like a warrior is going to come out of this one. Praise the Lord for it. Hallelujah, Jesus. I want to invite you to spend the next few moments along with me, right by my side, to cry out to God.
for our community to cry out for those that are right on the edge of suicide right now. I'm going to get a little bit, you know, I want you to think about those right now. That what is as far as Thanksgiving was for them, it was a drab, and they would like to say because they didn't have the benefits, right? But I want you to, I want the the world, and I want our our county to know that God is for them, yes. and that no matter who's in their circle, Jesus is in the center of it. Let's pray together, believing God is going to touch some lives this morning. I feel like this is our altar call. You may have something personal. If you have something personal, just bring it before the Lord. But as we, I, whether you come up front or not, I'm inviting you to come up front. I'm inviting you to get as close to Jesus as you can, whatever way you feel like the Lord's inviting you to do it. But release it to Jesus. But somebody's on your mind, I'm sure, like they are mine. And pray that God will give them the most spectacular holiday season of their life by bringing Jesus as the centerpiece of it all. And trust God to do it. And cry out to the Lord until he gives you what you're praying for. Let's pray together. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. You know, one person with God can bring the house down. One person. All we needed this morning was one. But we can bring the house down. So wherever and however you want to do it, just pray. But pray with vigilance. Pray with this sense that you cannot lose. Pray like you cannot lose because you have Jesus on your side. Today, God's going to do something in this congregation. Maybe it's not we're going to see it open happen today, but we're going to see it happen as a result of what happens this morning. So let's pray together. I want to pray for you, but if the Lord's leading you to come up front, and as we sing this song, pray with all your heart. Let your spirit be filled with God this morning. Oh, Jesus wants to do more in this service. Jesus wants to take over even beyond what we've experienced right now. Father, thank you. Thank you today, Jesus, for the anointing. Thank you for the Holy Spirit anointing right here in Abundant Life Church. Thank you for the anointing, God, that devastates the devil, devastates the lies of hell, devastates, God, the lies that people have been living in. God, that absolutely presents freedom as an immediate experience of life. And so, Jesus, here we are. We are here to worship you. We're here to uh, pour out our gladness of heart together as a beautiful family of God in Abundant Life Church. Lord, we love one another. and We love you deeply. And Jesus, we're asking you, Lord, from the pastor on through, not on down because everybody, Lord, ultimately has an equal plane at the cross of Jesus Christ. But we ask you, God, to supply heaven for us today. Lord, we need a Pentecost an outpouring of the Holy Spirit fresh on our souls. God, to give us boldness for Willowa County, to give us a vigilance against darkness and a readiness to defy darkness on every level until we see you glorified in every church across the plains. And Lord, until there's not one soul that we know of or have heard of, and beyond that, that's even faintly thinking about committing suicide or drug addiction or any of that stuff. Lord, we're looking forward to the freedom that's to come because we believe you together. We stand on your word together. And we love you today, Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Bring it together in your mighty way. But we're asking you, Father, today, just one more time, Lord, put your heart into our heart. Put your heart inside of us. And Lord, I pray, let it beat as loud and as clear as it is in your own. And Father, we love you today. We love you, Jesus. Praise you. Let's sing. Let's worship him. Let's give him glory. Hallelujah.